You're listening to The Film File, the film show for film geeks, by film geeks. Come with us if you want to live. Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meekin. You know, when you said that, you did a complete Roger Moore. <laughs> you did the old eyebrow, just just, just came up then, and uh, you got all Roger Moore about it. <laughs> Welcome to The Film File, the film show for film geeks, by film geeks. Uh, and when Andy and I record this, we uh, have the great pleasure of looking at each other into, in our, into each other's eyes across the, across the entire you, internet. Me to you. Me to you. <laughs> and, and Andy I'm... just did a big Roger Moore uh, uh, eyebrow raise when he was delivering his line. It was like, it was like watching Andy Live Lincoln. and Let Die again. <laughs> and we actually met each other in public as well today, which was uh, the did. first time in a long time first time and it, it, it was so weird because we speak every week and i see you every week and then you, you're in person it was like oh okay he's back <laughs> it was like oh he's but back I... and then you went hello mate give me a hug and i went oh yeah of course i've not seen you <laughs> yeah it was uh yeah because we we hosted and we were talking about it later in the show but we were hosting the q a for the oxide ghosts brass eye tape screening with director Michael Cumming today, which was, uh, we were so pleased to be a part of that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think he enjoyed it. I think Michael Cummings enjoyed it. Yep, it's, uh, it's, it was a, it's a good show. We'll talk about it later in the show. Uh, but yeah, I'm back in Sheffield. I'm back. I'm back, Yay. baby. And I still don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> well, you know, it's. I remember when you left, you were, you were pretty down about going to Banbury. And now you're back. You're pretty down about coming to Sheffield. So I think it's sort of in the in the cosmos way of of equalising things out. It's, it's, it's brought balance to the force. As yeah. the last shift with the team down in Banbury was there was a there was a couple of tearful moments. I bet I had tears flooding down my face on at least two occasions. God bless you. Early in the morning, because food and beverage manager and the leisure manager had bought a card and wrote a very personal poem in there. Oh, about, right. like about my like about me being down there and like you know they're going to miss me and I was just like oh that set me off and then <laughs> it got to a, got to an hour before I finished and I got called over by my cinema team and I went over and they got me a balloon and they got me a cake and they got me a card and in the card the message that they wrote was a massive really from the heart kind of message which oh. like was just like you know you've been a great leader it's been marvelous um working alongside you, you know, we took on board everything that you've trained us. We hope we'll do you proud. And they even said, like, we hope that everything goes well for you in the future and that they never make any more Paul Blart Mallcop films. So, you know, they picked up in even <laughs> my hatred of Paul Blart Mallcop, which I thought was just a nice little touch. Well, you uh, do tell I, everybody, even complete <laughs> strangers in the street. <laughs> I, I just run up to people and just go, don't watch Paul Blart. Uh, but, you know, it set me off and it, really did make it hard to leave my team because they will always be my team behind i've still not left the uh whatsapp groups or the team groups on online for banbury and i, I i'm refusing to leave until someone kicks me out <laughs> can you uh can you still uh interact with the cinema down there so uh, i know you were telling <laughs> us a few weeks ago that you were uh you operating the the screening from your laptop so could you do that and uh, uh, and just sort of screw with a few films while they're while they're while they're watching it like a malevolent force? Can't quite reach the screens, uh, but I can get on all, all their back office systems and uh, create complete chaos if I wanted to. <laughs> um, <laughs> the screens are um, 
held locally, so I can't access them. If I had a different access level, I would be able to remotely. But um, no, I've not got the access level to remote remotely access their screens. But I, I can access, I can see all their retail stuff, etc., which I, I think is handy that I can still see that because during this transition phase with me coming back, there will be times when you know Kieran or Ruth might have questions for me, and I'll be able to talk them through it or go in and look to see what issues they've got. So it's handy still being able to access some of their stuff. I, uh, I Talking about, about crying, I, I cry at the sort of drop of a hat. I, the older I've got, the more more tearful I get. And uh, um, it was the first day of term, so all the new students were in this week. And I uh, had some students returning for the second year because I, I teach film, as you know. Yeah, And it got quite emotional. And, and I was saying, you know, somebody said, what was the last time that you cried? And I said, I shed a tear when Captain America at the end of Endgame is about to take on Thanos and he hears on your left. And I went, yeah, that's the last <laughs> time I cried in this. And I was like, I was bawling like a newborn, um, like a teenage girl. I was, was tears welling up at that line. Yeah, I, I, strange things make me cry. It, I, I'm not one to really hide things and, you know, say that I don't get emotional because I do. I'm a big softie. We're both big softies at heart. Big softies, um, I, wrong. For the leaving message for the team. Now, on the first week down in Banbury, when we were doing introductions, while we were waiting for one of the meetings to start in the screens and like all the team are there, and there was a few of us up front and it was just like, oh, how can we pass the time until like the boss gets in to talk about things? And it was like, oh, well, anyone know any jokes? So I crack some bad dad jokes like I like to do. And then one of the head office people shouted out, Andy knows all the lyrics to Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby. At which point they start chanting, sing Ice Ice Baby, sing Ice Ice Baby. And I, I, I just went, all right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with me. I just rattled through it. Applause, <laughs> cheers, everything. So for me leaving, I thought I'd do a throwback to that. And so I took the lyrics of Ice Ice Baby and changed them. I have and seen this. made it personal. And I'll post, I've posted them out on the Twitter feed, uh, but I'll post them out again after this show goes live. I'll probably link them underneath the show um, post. Uh, but, you know, I, I, it took me all of five minutes. It was literally walking into the hotel room after a close that night before my last shift. I was like, I really need to do something. Oh, maybe Ice Ice Baby. So I was like, all right, stop, stop collaborating. Listen, Andy's here telling Banbury he'll miss them. Something that I don't take lightly. I've worked here for three months daily and nightly. And it's just like, wow. And fed it out. And everyone's just like, that's really good. You're a poet and you didn't even know it. I even did live renditions of it for the team as well, just to make sure that when it gets to the to the whole team, you make the site so memorable. The light has a site that is really commendable and they know I can spit lyrics. <laughs> I think I've missed me calling in life. <laughs> I can't wait till we do the Christmas film file single now. We really need to put something together. I think that'd be hilarious. I'll, I, <laughs> you, you can do all the, the all the main lyrics and then I'll just do like, you know, like all those modern tracks do, they have someone break out into a rap for no reason halfway through. I'll be that person who breaks out into a rap. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it with me. Leave it with me. <laughs> yeah, well, I was about to just say, so the show this week. So on the show this week, what have we got for you? Well, this week we are doing our deep dive into David Cronenberg's Stephen King adaptation of The Dead Zone. Of course, we're going to have all the news, gossip, box office, but we're also going to be giving you some reviews. Andy, what have we got from reviews? Yeah, we'll be talking about Oxide Ghosts. And then I've also got reviews of Samaritan, which I didn't get a chance to find space for last week, but I've held it over for this week. And a new film that landed on Netflix this week called I Came By. 
there's going to be plenty of stuff and nonsense, as you've come to expect from the film file. But let's get on with the news. So let's start off with the box office and with the box office having had a couple of quiet weeks. Let's see how that's playing out, because I'm not sure how this is going to go. Well, it's going to be interesting uh, with the box office because across the UK and also across America, there was National Cinema Days with cheap tickets. So that might excuse some crazy figures. So uh, let's have a look to see what the weekend brought us. So, yeah, the US box office became a bit of a mishmash this weekend. Top Gun Maverick flew itself back up to the top, taking six million this weekend. Bullet Train taking second place, 5.7 million. Spider-Man No Way Home, the more fun edition re-release, took 5.4 million. DC League of Super Pets on 5 million and The Invitation on 4.9 million. Bubbling under in 6th to 10th position, you had films such as Beast, Minions, Rise of Gru, Jaws, Thor, Love and Thunder and Dragon Ball Super Superhero. So quite a few reissues or films that are pretty much at the end of their run or had passed the end of their run, still gaining it thanks to that cheap cinema ticket stay. In the UK, it's more of the same as the top spot is held by Minions The Rise of Gru with 1.05 million. DC League of Super Pets in second place with 1 million, highlighting that it's predominantly families who have taken advantage of the £3 cinema day this weekend. Top Gun Maverick in third place, 600,000 added to its total. It's now up to 81.6 million from the UK alone. Fantastic result. Bullet Train, 554,000. And Spider-Man No Way Home, more fun edition, 469,000. The cinema days that ran around the world clearly drew a lot of audiences who maybe haven't been back to the cinema for quite some time to come and experience the thrills of the big screen once more. Will it help them sustain some business going forwards? Only the future weeks will tell. Who saw that coming box office-wise? Nobody. We certainly didn't. (laughs) We certainly didn't. (laughs) What have we got news-wise, Andy? Netflix news. Let's start with Netflix news. So Netflix, we're talking, and we mentioned this a couple of months ago, about a cheaper ad-supported plan that they were going to be rolling out internationally, stage by stage. Uh, This is going to be, you know, there's the cost of living crisis. They realise that if they're charging people £15 per subscription, that a lot of people are going to balk and cancel it. And Netflix have seen a decline in subscriber base. So they're looking for a cheaper buy-in, like rental thing, where you get up to four minutes per hour of adverts included. Obviously, when this was announced, loads of people got like got the wrong end of the stick. Thought if they start forcing adverts on me on Netflix, I'm ref- going to refuse to pay it. It's like you're missing the point. This is for the people who are paying less. If you're paying the big tier one, like I am, you're not going to get the adverts. It's not going to affect you. Stop stressing. Can I just jump in there, Andy? Because you know I do a lot of a lot of BBC stuff, and I had to do a BBC interview a week or so ago about streaming services and, and the successes of streaming services and how the, 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 the crisis, the energy crisis and cost of living crisis would hit. And, and it's funny that a lot of people have got that misconception about adverts because this, this came up. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about will people drop their streaming services? And I said, inevitably, some will have to go for some people. And they were, yes, especially now that they're putting adverts on. So I think the communication of this through Netflix whether it's 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 how Netflix have worded it or it's the, the concept of it to the public uh, seems to be very skewed into this idea that that it's going to be like ITV or Sky that that, that Net, uh, Netflix is going to drop ads through your through your program and and we know and we've talked about this a lot that that's not what it's going to be. 
No, I think the problems come because we we've mentioned this quite a few times that people read headlines and don't actually read details anymore. So people will have seen Netflix to introduce ads and just decided, oh, they're introducing ads rather than reading the next paragraph where it makes it very clear. Stop going by headlines, people. You're just showing how dumb you are. But anyway, this was supposed to roll out in the early part of 2023, but they've now pulled it forward. Um, November the 1st in most countries, which will include the US, UK, France, Germany and more of Europe, um, the ad-supported tier will drop on the services. So if you are finding it hard to keep up with the subscriptions for multiple services and you think that one might have had to get severed, well, this might help. Other subscription services are also looking at the possibility of introducing ad tiers. Uh, We already know in the US, HBO Max has its ad tier supported one, which doesn't get some of the more exclusive content. It usually gets it a few weeks later. And I believe Paramount Plus have now started to think about the idea of an ad-supported one. I'm all for it. I mean, if you've got the money to not have the ads, you can pay the extra subscription. But it means that most of us can look around and go, well, rather than dropping that and dropping that, I can just reduce both of those down one tier, pay less on both of them, and just deal with four minutes of adverts per hour. Four minutes of adverts per hour, that's not a hardship. I know Now TV already has it. Now TV now, when whenever you start anything up, there's an advert before it starts. And they have some ad breaks halfway through. And I'm absolutely fine with it. it I, I don't see what the huge fuss is. I'd rather pay less a subscription and not be you know, out of pocket all the time and have that option there. Or out of a, out of a streaming service, which is the other alternative, isn't it? You, 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 pipe, your, you pipe your streaming service in yeah. because you don't want ads. And, and um, you know, it's, it's your choice. At least you've got a little bit of democracy with it, given the choice yeah. to decide what you want to do. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an odd one. And I think a lot of people, in, including myself, are negotiating what we're going to do. And if I'd rather not lose... Yeah, my Netflix or my Amazon Prime. I'd rather hold on to them, but uh, if if that's what I've got to do to get through, and I, and I'm yeah. kind of comfortable, so it's um, I, I think for people who who are are really going to struggle, then then it's just it, it's it's a it's a bit of a lifeline if you want to keep your streaming services because you know what, even though it's going to be a miserable old world potentially, could be a lot more miserable if you if you're getting in and not being able to put the telly on and watch what you want. Yep. And especially with um, Netflix announcing their full slate of films um, for the rest of the year, which includes uh, quite a fair few titles and quite a few titles that they're going to have two or three week cinema exclusivities on. So I'm going to focus on the cinema exclusivities ones. September the 30th, Luckiest Girl Alive lands at the cinemas. October the 19th, The Good Nurse. October the 21st, Wendell and Wilde. November the 4th, Bardo or False Chronicle. November the 18th, just in time for that time of year, Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, a brand new adaptation. November the 25th, White Noise. Back end of November, The Wonder. In December, we get The Volcano. Uh, We get Matilda the Musical, which is expected to do some great business. That gets the cinema release as well, doesn't it? Yeah, on the 9th of December, Matilda the Musical goes to the cinema, which I think is three weeks before it lands, just in time for Christmas on um, the actual service. On the service itself, they've got a wealth. They've got their usual, like, one or two new films each week. But the ones that obviously stand out are Enola Holmes 2 on November the 4th. I'm with you. There's a new adaptation of All Quiet on the Western Front, which uh, intrigues me. And there's also Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. We know there's a Pinocchio coming this week on Disney, but del Toro's Pinocchio looks a lot more appealing to me, a lot more twisted. The one is is purely, the Disney one is purely a remake. 
yeah. uh, with Tom Hanks. Uh, uh, but Del Toro's looks a little bit more, as you would expect, a bit more of a personal vision. Imaginative, I think. And obviously, December the 23rd. Now, it's interesting that this one's not being listed in the cinema releases. Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Mm. It seems strange that given how well the first Knives Out film did at cinemas, that this isn't being listed as one of their cinema releases. Maybe they'll change their mind, but otherwise, we've got to watch Knives Out 2 on the small screen. Or is that their marketing campaign? Because they knew how many people went to the cinema to watch it, you know, holding it back for a big Christmas release because, you know what, it's a great Christmas Day movie. Yeah. And if you, you, you're thinking of packing in your Netflix subscription, then holding on to Knives Out 2, knowing that it will do the business, it could be a savvy move. Yep. More details about Knives Out 2 um, have come out. We now know details of the characters being played. Obviously, Daniel Craig is returning as Benoit Blanc. And he said he had to retrain with a dialect coach to get back into his accent because he's not used it since making the first one. Um, but Edward Norton is going to be playing a billionaire tech disruptor called Miles Brun. Leslie Odom Jr. is Lionel Toussaint, a scientist in Bronze Employ. Janelle Monet is Cassandra Andy Brand, a rival tech entrepreneur. Dave Batista is Duke Cody, a famed YouTube star. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be called Duke Cody. That's the name I should have been born with. <laughs> and uh, accompanying Duke Cody is Madeline Klein as Whiskey, his young girlfriend and assistant. Uh, Catherine Han, the marvellous Catherine Han, is Claire DeBella, a Connecticut governor running for Senate. Kate Hudson is Birdie J, a famed fashionista. Jessica Henwick is Birdie's assistant, called Peg. And the only character who we don't know yet, Ethan Hawke's character, completely under wraps. So he's the killer then. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, once again, it's going to have an underco- undercurrent of social commentary which this time he's going to be looking at income inequality. Uh, Ryan Johnson spoke about it, saying the movie itself is not entirely about the income divide, but that definitely has a huge place in it. We're in a moment in history where the divide feels increasingly obscene, like a circus that we can't keep our eyes off, even as the negative effects of it become more and more real in our lives. Looking forward to it. It's pre- it premieres at the Toronto International Film Festival next week, and it will close the BFI London Film Festival on October the 16th. And then, like we said, December the 23rd, on Netflix, we'll all be gathering around the TV, probably enjoying it as much as the first, hopefully. It's it's a, it's your new Christmas Day film special. <laughs> last year it was Encanto, wasn't it? That was the yes. new Christmas Day film. And the year before was Soul. So it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be an interesting Christmas for Netflix. Mm. Anything else, Andy? Quick news is that DC aren't going to be doing a fandom this year. Yeah, um, I, I saw this and was uh, surprised by not being surprised what we know of DC at the moment. And well, it just seems, seems chaos over there. Yeah. Until Dan Lin, DC's Kevin Feige lands, it, it does seem a little bit, a little bit chaotic. And it's almost like they don't believe in their brand at the moment. When they said that they were only going to have a small um, appearance at the recent San Diego Comic-Con, everyone expected that, well, maybe we'll find out more details at the DC fandom. But since then, there's been one thing after another that has led to, you know, yeah, it's in complete chaos. And they've pushed back their two films from the back end of this year to next year and so on. So they've got nothing DC-wise wow. coming up. It also means that they're not... Yeah, you know, the DC fandom isn't just about the films. It's also about the TV shows. It's also about the comics, etc. They've clearly got a lot of things to sort out before they can, uh, before they feel like they can go into public. I think they also know that if they 
broadcaster fandom this year, all the Twitter response, which will be feeding on the screen live as people are watching it, will be very, very negative. So I think they probably made the wisest move here, given everything that's happening. Well, I'm going to throw it over to Marvel then, because Ben Kingsley is going to be back as the beloved. And who would have thought it would have been loved because everybody critiqued Iron Man 3 so uh, so poorly. I've got to say, I really enjoyed Iron Man 3. He's coming back as, as well. Trevor Slattery for Marvel's Wonder Man series. Yes, I, I, which kind of makes sense because uh, Wonder Man um, has the acting link to it. So why not get uh, famed actor Trevor Slattery coming in and um, joining the team? I'm loving, I mean, we've spoken about She-Hulk before. I'm loving the humour that they're bringing into the TV shows. I'm loving that we're getting a good balance of like humour to mystery. To Each show has its own identity. And so Wonder Man can have that kind of identity, the bit of fun, the bit of jokey at Hollywood's expense as well. I'm expecting a lot of Hollywood in-jokes when it comes to Wonder Man. I'm still, I'm still an episode down on She-Hulk. I'm only in for two so far, so I've got some <laughs> catching up to do. It's been a crazy week. But while we're over in Marvel World, it was nice to see that uh, Chadwick Boseman was awarded an Emmy uh, posthumously for his work on What If. I, I can't believe it's just over two years since his sad passing in 2020. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to Wakanda Forever, hopefully coming out and paying a very good testimony to his legacy. Uh, but yeah, it was really nice for that, that, just that voice work, the, his voice being lent to that, which was theoretically his final acting out yeah. put. Um, it just went to TV. So yeah, it's a really, really a well-deserved award for you know a sadly missing, far too early actor. Yeah. Now, neither of us were particularly fond of the film. We both said it redeemed it in the last act, but filmmaker Jordan Peele might not be finished with the world of Nope. Okay. So it's not a big Nope from him. It's a bit of a big maybe. Yes. In a new interview. In a new interview with the New York Times. He's been asked about one character who's been dubbed Nobody, who featured throughout the film's marketing but wasn't actually in the final film, a role that was played by actor Michael Bush. Um, Peel had responded with an answer that would suggest he's open to revisiting the Nope world, be it an alternate cut, a sequel, or something else. In his words, people are doing a lot of interesting detective work. Is That's what's going on. The story of that character has yet to be told, I can tell you that, which is another frustrating way of saying I'm glad people are paying attention. I do think they'll get more answers on some of the things in the future. We're not over telling all of these stories. Now, we don't know anything about what the character's significance is going to be. Some people have speculated that maybe there was shot footage of a subplot and it, it was removed. But given the fact that we've already said that Nope was overbloated with unnecessary subplots, I find it hard to believe that he left anything out. <laughs> but the, the character of Nobody appears briefly in moments in all of the trailers and one journalist Kyle Buchanan has posted a claim about who he thinks the character is and here there be spoilers the Michael Bush nobody character was a pretty major deleted subplot he was a whole point of view of character obsessed with Gordy's home and the actress on it he heads to taping with his gun and then stumbling upon the scene ends up shooting the chimp so he's the one who fired the shot that killed the chimp Okay. Whether it has any significance on the rest of the film... Because we well, still don't know what thought, the significance of the chimp was. We don't know. That's just a speculation from a journalist who thinks that he knows what it is. We don't know, but we might see more return to that world at some point from Jordan Peele. 
Uh, so the first photos are out for Hulu's reimagining of Clive Barker's Hellraiser. Yep, saw this. New pinhead and everything. Yeah, Jamie Clayton looks great as a pinhead. Um, obviously, as is expected in this day and age, any female characters in what people pre- predominantly perceive as a male role resulted in a lot of internet idiots. <laughs> it's the world we live in. Basically saying, Pinhead's not supposed to be a girl. It's like, well, in the Hellbound Heart, Pinhead is androgynous and described as being very feminine in nature. So you clearly don't know the source material, guys. This seems to be a common occurrence at the moment. That, uh, I've noticed this. What is going on with our world? We addressed this, or tried to address it earlier <laughs> in a previous show, but I didn't think, and I don't think we'll ever get the answers that we're looking for. Uh, but the story for Hellraiser... Adessa Azion stars as Riley, a young woman struggling with addiction and compulsive behaviour, who comes into contact with the Lament Configuration puzzle box and unleashes the chaos of the Cenobites. Uh, the film also includes Goran Visniak, who plays an occultist fascinated by all the possibilities surrounding the box. And there's a new Cenobite added called The Mask, which appears to be essentially a being who, instead of a head, has a face of a bleached human skin held up by some sort of metallic support structure. It looks twisted. It looks disturbing. Now that we've had some images released, let's be honest, that usually means there's a trailer around the corner. So I wouldn't be surprised if by this time next week we've seen a trailer drop. I'm, I'm going to just put my hands up very quickly and say uh, all six of them, as soon as we're talking about Hellraiser, it's not a film that I actually like. I know we've discussed it. I don't know if we've discussed it yeah. on air or off air, but there's so much, so much wrong with it for me. I'm a huge fan of the first film. I like the second film a lot, even though it kind of shifted from like the London setting to suddenly it was in America. Don't know why. Uh, after that, it just went rapidly downhill and just became... It, well, the third film tried to be a nightmare on Elm Street with Pinhead. And right. that's where it just started to lose me. I love the imagery. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a clever, clever story. I, I just don't like the finished production of it. I mm. didn't like the... Well, clearly, this is an English house, but it's supposed to be in... Uh, the US and that <laughs> things like that throw me out completely. It's, it's, there's not many things I can be quite forgiving yeah. on a lots of films, but I, it's those location things. There's a, a film with Stephen Dorfin and I can't remember the title. Uh, and it's supposed to be set in uh, New York, but it was shot in Germany. <laughs> and it an- annoys me because there's nothing about it that makes it feel American. It feels European. Yeah. And it, with a with one line in the script, they could have just addressed why this cop was in Germany. But oh, yeah. it, it just frustrates me. Well, well, rest assured, when um, Hellraiser comes out, I will watch it and I will review it on the show. Whether Lee wants to or not is pretty much <laughs> up to him. But the dark pleasures lure me in. Um, sticking with horror and production has now reportedly wrapped on the next Scream film. Much of the team behind this year's fifth instalment returned, including the directors Matt Bettelini, Open, and Tyler Gillett, and much of the surviving cast, because obviously the dead cast can't come back. Um, in the film, four survivors of the recent Ghostface killings will be leaving Woodsboro and trying to start a fresh chapter, and it's slated currently to arrive in cinemas in March next year. March the 31st is the date to put in your diary. I'm in You're for weighing, this. You're weighing, are you? I'm weighing. I'm weighing. I'm weighing. I... You know, the first two screen films I really enjoyed. The sec the third one, yeah. The fourth so one was the fourth one was a nice step in the right direction, but was just a bit too formulaic. But I think that this reinvention of it as a legacy sequel has really tapped into something special. And I think it is down to um the directors who just bring they obviously have a love for genre. They have a love for the horror 
and they know how to self-reference it in such a unique way that makes it fit nicely alongside the original screen films. And again with horror, there's only six weeks until Halloween Ends comes out and apparently director David Gordon Green still hasn't decided what the ending's going to be. No, really? <laughs> so much hope that it was going to end. He's been speaking with Empire recently and he's discussed that it's like it was far along in production, uh, in the post-production process. Um, but because this film is serving as kind of a, an end to his trilogy of Bloomhouse's involvement and also Jamie Lee Curtis's final outing as Laurie Strode, he's kind of tweaking the final act to make sure it's just right and there's plenty of pressure to do so. And in his words, it changes every day. In theory, the picture is locked, but this morning I called the editor and said, what if we do this one thing? I speak with John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis regularly about it. It's exciting, uncertain, satisfying and sad. I've enjoyed the ride, but it's probably time to get off. I think we're going to go out with a bang. As to compare it to the previous two films, he says that if our second film was a free-for-all violent chaos, this is a much more intimate, atmospheric conclusion. How it's going to end, how Halloween will end, will it end? Because there has been speculation from the Bloomhouse stable that maybe they will go back It'll to it. It'll never end. Uh, never, I tell yous. We will find out when it releases in cinemas and on Peacock streaming on October the 14th. The great, and I don't use this word very often, the great Brendan Gleeson has joined the cast of Joker Foley a Doux. Uh, as we know, it's a musical sequel to the original Joker. Still don't think it needs a sequel, but that's just me. <laughs> but it's got Brendan Gleeson in, and uh, Brendan Gleeson, I just think, rocks. Did you ever see him in the TV adaptation of Mr. Mercedes? Yes. He was great in it. Absolutely, absolutely magnificent. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing him when he's in uh, Martin McDonough's Banshees of Inner Shirin with his co-star Colin Farrell from In Bruges. You know, that's a, that's a team-up that we've yeah. been wanting to happen again ever since that first film blew us all away. Uh, but yeah, he's being added. We don't know a, what role he's going to be playing in the Joker sequel. We don't know much about the Joker sequel at this point in time, except it's it's a romantic musical with Lady Gaga. This, It's like you say, we don't really need a sequel to Joker, but let's be honest, if they're going to turn it into a romantic musical weird experiment, then I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the way that you voice went up at the end of that and went, yeah, I'm going to go yeah. with you. I will see it, of course. Um, you know, I have faith in the production team behind it. I'm just kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Sebastian Stan, Paul Dano, Seth Rogen and Pete Davidson are going to star in Dumb Money for Black Bear Pictures. Uh, Craig Gillespie is going to be directing this one. And it's an adaptation of Ben Mesrick's book, The Antisocial Network. Now, this is all to do with, and we spoke about there was going to be multiple films of this going into production a couple of years back, when the whole GameStop short squeeze happened and everyone invested in GameShop stock and basically crippled the company. Um, this is one of those adaptations that is going to look at how a loosely affiliated group of private investors and internet trolls on a subreddit took down one of the biggest hedge funds of Wall Street firing the first shot in a revolution that threatened to upend the whole of the Wall Street establishment. I still will never understand, even though I've I've bought shares and I've sold shares, I will never understand the stock market. No. And no matter how many films there are, I will never even try to completely understand what all the shorts are and are. Even the big short, when it tried to explain it in simple terms, you still went, okay, that was simple enough. I still but. don't get it. But Margot Robbie in a bathtub was enough for me to get interested. <laughs> um, but dumb money, it intrigues me because I, I, I like these looks at things which caught, <laughs> caught the rich off guard. 
the rich were so used to being they play with the stock market and that you know the poor people don't but when a load of internet trolls all bundled bandy together and all put like a couple of dollars on turns out the rich between them and they can cripple the stock market it showed how fragile the stock market actually is so it could be an interesting film and it's a good cast it is and talking of cast nell tiger free which is a marvelous name <laughs> is starring you remember from the servant who she made an impression in the yeah. servant is starring in the horror prequel the first omen and if you remember we did a deep dive just a few short weeks ago into the omen and we mentioned that there was a prequel in the works yep we like we like westerns we do we like walter hill we certainly do well the trailer for walter hill's western drama dead for a dollar has now been revealed. Now, this is a film in which veteran bounty hunter Max Borland, played by the great Christoph Waltz, is deep into Mexico, where he encounters professional gambler and outlaw Joe Cribbins, played by, again, the great Willem Dafoe, a sworn enemy he's sent to prison years before. Max is on a mission to find and return Rachel Kidd, the wife of a wealthy businessman who's been abducted by Buffalo soldier Elijah Jones. Max is ultimately faced with a showdown to save honour. Classic Western material, Great cast and Walter Hill. And talking of westerns, the teaser landed this week for The English, uh, a miniseries starring Emily Blunt. I've not seen that teaser, but Emily Blunt is always someone who I'm interested in keeping an eye on. Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness actress Zochi Gomez have signed on to star in the new sci-fi thriller Ursa Major from kin directors Jonathan and Josh Baker. They'll be playing Charlie and Natalie, mother and daughter fighting for survival on an Earth-type planet who are hiding from a group of relentless hunters with the added threat of an imminent and deadly storm approaching. Natalie, now a teenager, has begun to question her mother's decisions and her explanation of who they are, how they got there and what they need to do to survive. Directed from an original script by Station Eleven creator Patrick Somerville, it looks like nice little sci-fi for Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I just feel that she's never quite got that role that she deserves. She's great in everything she does. But yeah. she, she, she's one of those should be should be leading actresses who never seems to have got that role. But I'm quite happy for her to be, you know, support or in this kind of like genre product and constantly delivering just quality output. You ought to check out her performance in the third season of Fargo, where she was marvelous. She was marvelous in that, absolutely marvelous. Uh, yeah, I mean, is there is there any season of Fargo which anyone didn't come across as marvelous in? Um, season four didn't didn't land for me as much. Uh, the Chris yeah. Rock series, uh, yeah. I found that the hardest one to get into. Uh, and the fact I never finished it because uh, Channel Four pulled it off their streaming service before. I think I was three episodes from the end, so I'm waiting for it to land on on Netflix. A plague on Channel Four. And let's round off the news by going back to a bit of Warner's news that we kind of started with, and now we're going to be with the well. It makes sense for this to be the end of the news because it looks like the end of the collaboration between Legendary Entertainment and Warner Brothers is happening. It's been on the cards. Let's be honest. It has been on the cards for some time. Whenever you see a Legendary logo pop up, you've always expected Warner's to be uh, have their logo connected to it one way or shape or form. So it, this is major news that they're moving away. Uh, there's a report that's come out that's indicated that the agreement between them has expired and Legendary is now actively seeking a new home for its upcoming slate. Uh, Sony and Paramount are courting the company. And this is the company who gave us Godzilla vs. Kong, the Monsterverse films, and also things such as Dune and Detective Pikachu. So this is a big, big production studio. Uh, Sony is said to be the front runner. Warners has put a deal on the table. 
Whether they'll pick it up is another matter. Uh, the, the relationship we know took a major turn last year when Warner's decided to dump all their films straight onto HBO Max on the day of cinema release. And Legendary really were not happy with that. Yeah, that was kind of the end for them. That's it. Those same decisions to drop things onto streaming resulted in Christopher Nolan going, well, I'm done with you as well. So this is another example of, you know, everything that you're seeing with DC and all the mess with there. But it's Warners in general who have created a toxic environment within the company. And it's going to be a while before they, uh, they convince people that they are more positive going forwards. And that is this week's The News. Enjoying the show and you're not a subscriber, then here is your big chance. All you have to do is head over to your favourite podcast platform and check out The Film File. Become a subscriber, remember to hit the like button and you'll get The Film File delivered weekly straight to you. So if this is your first time, hello. Remember, leave a like and leave a good impression because everybody remembers your first impression. Mine was Rocky. <laughs> Adrian. <laughs> if you want to know more about the film file, that's easy too, because you can meet us all on social media by simply doing this. Head on over to Twitter. Follow us at Film File UK. Head on over to other social media platforms. Search for Film File UK. You'll find us there. You can follow us on Letterboxd um, and find out what my personal feelings are on as many films as I see and also see how many films I do watch. Uh, you can find those details through the Twitter feed. It's in my bio, bio there, the link through. Or you can get in touch with us directly. Yes, email us podcast at filmfile.uk thoughts suggestions top films worst films of all time anything you want us to talk about on the show we're all ears seriously i've got about 20 years down my back I've, i'm a genetic experiment that went wrong uh, <laughs> find me find me that email and we'll get back to you and we'll uh, include any contributions on the show you can also find us on no barriers radio every thursday just go to nobarriersradio.com and listen to the show on the radio See, we're everywhere. It's now time for this week's Deep Dive. And we're going to be looking at the 1983 horror science fiction film thriller. Could be all of those things. What we do know is it's directed by David Cronenberg. Welcome to The Dead Zone. Stephen King, author of Cujo and Carrie. David Cronenberg, director of Scanners. Together, they put you in the grip of the dead zone. You're a devil. From the mind of Stephen King, a vision of the future. The Dead Zone. The 1983 film, The Dead Zone, based on the Stephen King novel, starred Christopher Walken, Brooke Adams, Tom Skerritt, Herbert Lom, Anthony Zerb, Colleen Dewhurst, and, chillingly, Martin Sheen. Walken, in probably one of his most sympathetic and finest roles plays school teacher Johnny Smith who awakens from a coma after a car accident and finds he has psychic powers. The dead zone refers to the part of Johnny Smith's psychic vision that he's missing after his accident, a blank area that he cannot see. This dead zone refers to an outcome that is not, that is not yet determined, meaning that Johnny can see into the future but possibly can change the future. Cronenberg, who directed this, was starting to have a run of success. After coming off pretty much indie films from Canada, 
he shot the highly intriguing and sometimes grotesque Videodrome. This was his first, shall we say, mainstream movie before he broke big with The Fly. And this is, in all honesty, next to Salem's Lot, my favourite King adaptation. I think I go back to this King film more than any other. Uh, and there are so many that I do like. But there's a there's a, an, a strange sadness that runs throughout this film, carried by a, a, an absolutely fantastic performance from Walken. And for me, he's and he's always great, but he's never been better than in this film. I adore The Dead Zone. My favourite King film, my favourite Christopher Walken performance, and almost my favourite David Cronenberg film. Andy, do you match my vision into the future or are you uh, in my dead zone? Yeah, I've got a lot of love for this film. It's Like yourself, I go back and revisit this very, very frequently. Ever since, it would have been a home VHS rental uh, that my mum got. I've mentioned many times before that I was into horror at an early age and I was particularly reading Stephen King. So I'd read The Dead Zone and then my mum rented out the film. And Walken... That, this is the first film that I recognise Walken from. This is the first one that he stood out to me and it made me interested in finding out what else Christopher Walken had done. And everything that the man's done has been legendary. Even when he's been in bad films, he's been great in it. But in this, you're absolutely right in that this is possibly his best performance because it's a nuanced performance. Because it's a... It's, it's low-key, isn't it, for, for Walken? It, yeah, it's, it is it is really, you are watching a man whose life has been broken. He's been given this amazing gift to see the future, but he lost the love of his life in order to get it. And he lost years of his life and it's he, he can't quite put his life together and find a focus. And as he discovers his abilities, his, his facial mannerism, I mean, Walken always has that kind of like off edge, off kilter look, but he managed to convey the sorrow the distress, the bewilderment of like trying to adjust to this new reality absolutely perfectly. And when there's a scene in the film when the doctor tells him that, you know, every time that he, is, he uses his abilities, he's pushing himself closer to die. And he smiles. And it's like as though that, you know, the character kind of goes, maybe that's all that I'm good for. And it's that smile as he's kind of accepting his fate. But then he goes on to like, work out that maybe his powers could be used for some good because it's after that that it's the, the boy that he's teaching who he has the vision of them drowning under the ice and he realizes at that point that that's he can change the outcomes he can stop bad events happening and the structure of this film just like the book it's almost vignettes isn't it yeah because uh, you've got his initial discovery of his powers and you know helping with a, a murder mystery of the castle rock killer and then it jumps ahead in time and it's him learning his abilities while he's tr teaching this boy. And then it jumps ahead again. But all the way through in the background, there's been this politician, this wannabe senator, Greg Stilson, who's just been hovering in the background through billboards. And then it comes to the forefront on the second half of the film. And Martin Sheen as Greg Stilson is... A long way away from the West Wing, shall we say. Yes, a huge difference away. Or not unlike a, a, a former president, one might say. Yeah, yeah. Watching this film in this modern age, post-Trump, and you look at the whole description of what Stilson is, and you just think, that's Donald Trump? 
Yes. Absolutely. I remember That's the a memes Trump going style round. politician. It really is a, an absolutely well-crafted and well-acted film. And it, it's strange because this is the one that I don't think kind of sits alongside most of other Cronenberg's work, particularly his horrors. His horrors are always visceral. His horror, horror, horrors are always, yeah, the, the weird, the strange, the twisted. But this is really drawn in. And I think it's more chilling as a result. You know, I, I love Videodrome. I love Scanners. I love The Brood. I love, I love The Fly. That's great. Which we ought to deep dive. Naked Lunch is a complete mental head case of a film, and I've got a lot of love for it. There's nothing that I've really disliked from Cronenberg, but The Dead Zone, I think, is his most perfect film. I'm going to agree on everything that you said, and I think I know why. There's a there's a cold sadness that runs through this film, and it's a story about being forlorn. You mentioned about the uh, uh, Stilson character. In the book, if you've read the book, there are there are two parallel stories. There's Johnny Smith's story and there's uh, the Martin Sheen character story. And that's nicely dropped. Apparently, earlier screenplays, including one by King himself, focused on this duality of the storylines. Mm. But what we get in this is by focusing purely on Johnny Smith, and as, as, as Andy just said, the, the almost vignettes into his, into his existences takes us on this, this very sad, uh, sad journey. It's a, it's a story about longing. So Johnny Smith, after having a, a headache on a roller coaster ride, of course, in Castle Rock, New Hampshire, declines politely to spend the, the, the night with his, his, the love of his life, Sarah, drives home uh, in a storm, but is, is involved in a car accident that leaves him in a coma. And he, he wakes up several years, in fact, five years later, and, and he's lost Sarah. Sarah is now married and she's the, the love of his life. For him, it's, it's the day after and... There's that regret of not having spent the life. Johnny discovers that when he touches somebody, he's in proximity of someone, through that physical contact, he can see events. Uh, in the first case, there is uh, uh, Johnny sees uh, a nurse's daughter who is trapped in a fire. He sees the doctor that's treating him, uh, survived World War II, and that his mother's still alive. And, and as these gifts that he's received start to spread. He gets involved with the local sheriff who's asked Johnny for help with a series of murdering, probably the most purely horror scene in the entire movie, mm -hmm. because, because this is Stephen King, we expect the horror and, and there is only one sequence in it, but that's not what drives this story. It's the emotional journey of Johnny Smith. And, and as we've both said, it's just beautifully, beautifully played by Walker. Who, who just underplays the entire role. He gets under the skin of Johnny Smith. Walken's oddness in his performance convinces us that this is a man suffering trauma. There's an elegance to this role that, that you don't normally see. And especially, I think sometimes Walken become a, can become a bit of a, a, a caricature of himself. But as, uh, again, Andy said, this leads to uh, him, him seeing uh, Greg Stilson, who's running for president, accidentally touches Stilson and sees a future outcome, which the rest of the film hinges on. And again, there's this, this sense of longing and, uh, and, and it's beautiful, beautifully resolved, even though it's sadly resolved. It's, it's just probably Cronenberg's most human story. Um, a lot of the credit for how well it plays has to go to screenwriter Jeffrey Bohm. The guy had worked on, has worked on quite a, range of films that are beloved to all of us. He wrote on Lost Indiana Boys, Jones yeah. and the Last Crusade. He did Lost Boys. He did Inner Space, which I've got a lot of love for. Oh, yeah. He worked He worked on the 
second and third Lethal Weapon films. Um, his screenplay for The Dead Zone was a great adaptation of a Stephen King novel, and he it, it works to bring it so well to the screen. Uh, you you say that there's this and Salem's Lot, which are your favourites, uh, the Stephen King ones. I'll agree with this. I don't. Uh, for me, I, I lean more towards Christine as my second favourite. That's up there. It's John Carpenter. I mean, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is this is the one that between the both of us, we both agree with that this is perfection of Stephen King. It's not only a great Stephen King story, but it's been handled with such good care. It's not gone for schlock and over the top horror. It's not tried to be anything twisted and disturbing. Like you said, it's a it's more a personal journey of this poor broken man with these abilities and that's the best aspect of all of Stephen King's particularly his earlier works it was always broken characters and adapting them to the screen you have to get the right the right tone the right feel and this film really does tap into the right feel it doesn't play up the blood it doesn't play up the horror it plays up the supernatural elements but in a mystical kind of way and a very human way very very human way uh, yeah dead zone is yeah, it's it's a story so good. The cast are all great in it. We've already mentioned, obviously, Christopher Walken and Martin Sheen, uh, but Brooke Adams, she, she was just so delightful in she was everything on a she was in. Around bit that of time. a run, she was, wasn't she? Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, uh, Days of Heaven. Um, we, I I don't even know if she's working anymore. Um, let's not forget Tom Skerritt. Uh, Tom Skerritt's always been one of those actors I've, I've just yeah. really liked in everything. That, that he does um, going way back to MASH uh, and of course yeah. Alien uh, the fantastic Anthony Zerb who was just one of those brilliant character actors interestingly uh, Nicholas Campbell who ended up in the uh, X-Files who plays Deputy Frank Dodd was Cronenberg's first choice to play Johnny Smith uh, mm. but wasn't a big enough name outside of Canada originally um, Bill Murray was King's idea to play uh, Johnny Smith, which I, I just can't see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, now, I mean, Bill Murray kind of over the decades developed a persona that we only identify with Bill Murray now. And it's hard to think that any time that his name was mentioned for these films, which would have been around the start of his, like, you know, his big career kicking off. But it seems unfeasible that they would bring anything other than that Bill Murray-esque nature yeah. to something. Uh, maybe he would have played it completely different. Maybe it would have worked, but that's not Bill Murray as far as we're concerned. No. And as you know, let's be grateful that we got the Bill Murray that we ended up getting. So for me, The Dead Zone is is beautifully directed by Cronenberg, making the most of, of the landscape, the cold winter landscape, yeah. which, which runs through this film. And apparently while shooting on location, it was one of the coldest winters ever. The, the simply stunning and rich performance from Walken, I, I think as... As we both said, this is one of Stephen King's best adaptations. It just is always, always worth revisiting, and I, I and I do. I think the uh, the music by Michael Gaiman and everything just just feels right. Everything is right in this adaptation. There was a spin off TV series, 
Uh, I saw the first episode. I didn't like where it went, and I, I don't think I lasted any further than maybe one or two episodes. I watched, I think I got through the first four seasons. I'd like to go back and finish the last two seasons. I only kind of fell out with it on the first season because it kind of fell into that trap of just being a bit formulaic, an episode of the week and in Solving Mysteries of the Week. But I heard that the final seasons kind of really wrapped up well. Interestingly, Anthony Michael Hall was uh, was the star of that. You remember from the Vacation movies, it was it was John Hughes's muse yep. for many years. Yeah, he was in Weird Science as well. Yeah, it, I, I had a lot of love for, particularly the first two seasons of the Dead Zone TV series. I think it took a few episodes to really get going, but then it kind of knew it, it kind of knew how to grow the story and make it feel like it could be expanded out. And I think that there was a good chemistry between Anthony Michael Hall and Nick Olderbur in the two like lead roles. I just feel that like it just fell into that trap because it was a sci-fi TV series. They wanted to get as many episodes as they could each year. It kind of just fell into that trap of like, oh, what murder is he going to solve this week? Oh, what murder is he going to solve next week? And that's where it kind of lost its thread. I will go back to it at some point and wrap it all up. Worth checking out, but it's not a patch on the excellent film. And if you want to see the excellent Dead Zone directed by David Cronenberg and starring Christopher Walken, Andy, where can we find it? Sadly, it's only just been removed off the streaming service. Oh, right, yeah, it was on so Prime, I think, for ages. It was, yes. Um, it's only recently been removed off there, so you do have to pay a £2.39 rental fee. It's not much to ask. Or just treat yourself and buy yourself the copy of it on Blu-ray. Absolutely worth it. Because you will rewatch it multiple times, I guarantee it. So it'll be a well-worth investment purchase. And now it's time for this week's reviews. Um, Andy is doing the Lord's work as ever and watching the stuff I've not had time to watch, which includes Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, which I've hated that name since the get go. But uh, (laughs) Andy, I'm sure you're going to tell me otherwise. Andy, other than that, what else have you seen this week? Uh, Shall we start off with us talking about what we've been up to today? If this were really happening, what would you think? Oxide Ghosts. Looney Toad. Russell Dust. Bromicide. Cool Thwacks and Charlie. Argue Barmies. Archie Jakes. Shatner's Bassoon. You haven't got a clue, have you? Find out exactly what to think next. Okay, yeah, you can kill the tape. Kill the tape. Yes, so we were asked, and it's been our absolute pleasure, to uh, host a Q&A, haven't we, Andy? We have indeed. Uh, So Oxide Ghosts is doing its tour around the UK. What's Oxide Ghosts, I hear you ask? Well, if you're a fan of Brass Eye, as people of our age generally are... uh, 25 years. 25 years since it came out. Yes, in order to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Brass Eye, as well as, coincidentally, the 5th anniversary of director Michael Cumming putting together a... well, It's not a film, is it? He describes it as whatever the hell that is. I think that's about right. It's a collection of outtakes, alternate cuts, deleted moments, all stuff that he'd unearthed when he came across 70 VHS cassettes 
that he had rough footage from the Brass Eye Tapes. And it's Oxide Ghost, the Brass Eye Tapes. And he, t- he did this tour in 2017, and he's doing it again this year. And you've still got chance in various parts of the country to catch this. And you get a little introduction by Michael. Then you get an hour of this footage, which it's kind of like, it, as a fan of Brass Eye, you, you'll find yourself laughing at moments that you can remember, laughing at alternate versions of moments and things that you didn't see. And then there's little nuggets of information of behind the scenes stuff and like putting some real aspect towards it. And then it's followed by a marvellous, marvellous chance to ask Michael himself anything that you want. Uh, and that was our job. We were the questions askers. I think we did a, a sterling job if I was to review ourselves. Michael seemed to have a great time uh, working with us. It's the first time that he'd had two people. He was ganged up upon asking questions. And I nearly, when I did our introductions, went into the film file opening because it just felt so easy to do. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, it's an it's an interesting experience. It's as, as Andy said, it's not a film per se. It's almost, it's almost like a, an art piece with some aspect of narration. But if you were a fan of Brass Eye, and uh, we know that BritBox is showing it, and strangely enough for the anniversary, and especially the 40th anniversary of Channel 4, this would have been a good opportunity to dig it out. But the controversy around it, uh, the controversy around some of the episode, Channel 4 walking a very thin line with their, shall we say, regard to the series. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a, um, for any fan of the show, this is a great opportunity to to get an insight that you wouldn't normally get. It's edited in quite an interesting way as well, because like I said, it's, it, he's unearthed VHS tapes. And so what he's put on screen feels like you're watching dirty VHS tapes. There's tracking issues. There's little test cards that come up. There's strange distortions of noise. And it really captures that, like, we're going back in time here and we're watching something which is kind of dirty. And Brass Eye, when it came out, for those who don't know Brass Eye, it was a satirical news show. It really... Pushed the envelope, didn't it? In every way. Yeah. And it was very controversial. It got raised in the House of Commons on a few a few occasions because a lot of politicians were fooled by some of the fake news that they put in there, um, including one who raised the whole subject of cake, the, the drug that's going around the country and not realising that they've been caught out. When you were watching this in the 90s, and this was a thing that we touched upon in the Q&A, I mentioned that like Channel 4 at that point in time were very like flaunting controversy with a lot of the things such as the word and Euro trash. And this felt like another one of those Channel 4 things that you felt like you were doing something wrong watching it. <laughs> they you were felt the glory bad days, for watching they? it. The glory it days really was. Four. And yeah, we, we discussed in the Q&A section about, you know, could you do something like this in this day and age? And sadly, I, I, I don't think it could. As uh, Michael said himself, and you discussed around with him, is that, you know, in this day and age, you know, as soon as you say something which sounds controversial, people are going online and Googling it and finding the true story. So it, it doesn't leave the lasting impression anymore. Straight away, someone can say, well, you're talking nonsense because that's not happened. Such as Noel Edmonds shooting Clive Anderson. <laughs> yes. If you weren't there for, for that uh, first time round, uh, it's it's worth revisiting, but yeah, it's uh, I think it's satire as we used to know it as is sort of dead, and because you know what, TV now satirizes itself in ways that we never thought would ever happen. But it's vitally important that if you want to see Oxide Ghosts, don't think oh I'll wait for it to come on home release because it's never going to get a home release. 
uh, due to licensing and also rights issues and also, you know, the legalities that some of the people who were in there had asked to be removed from Brass Eye itself when they've realised they've been fooled. This will never get screened in any other format except for these special one-hour presentations within a half an hour to an hour Q&A afterwards. So go on to michaelcumming.co.uk. Look to see for any venue within any journey close to you and get yourself to one of these screenings. You won't regret it. It's an absolute pleasure. The guy can tell stories to entertain and enthrall. He's amusing. And he also started the whole proceedings with a load of facts cards, just random facts, most of them to do with Brass Eye, but he did throw in one or two just to do with the Beatles for no reason at all. Uh, It was an absolute pleasure of an afternoon, and we were so happy to be part of the hosting of it. And we urge everyone, grab the chance, grab a ticket, go and see Oxide Ghosts. Our other reviews are... So, landed on Netflix this week, and that's uh, I Came By, which sees a graffiti artist breaking into the homes of the wealthy and daubing I Came By on the walls, uncover a shocking secret when he breaks into the home of a retired judge, which results in the lives of him and his close ones being put in danger. Cricket, the gentleman's game. A sport built on the foundations of fair play. When I was a High Court judge, everyone said, Sir Hector Blake always goes into bat for what's fair. To defend the morals and values that lie at the heart of our society with decency, honesty and integrity. But what are those values today? Youths are all bored senseless, spending their days pulling pranks, vandalising property, taking their anger out on people like me. And what for? To prove a point. You know, my school cricket master once taught us something quite valuable. He said the best form of defence is attack. Perhaps we're about to reach that stage of our innings. This is kind of like a British version of Don't Breathe. The similarity in setup teases something intriguing and tense, and the cast, which includes George McKay, Kelly MacDonald, and Hugh Bonneville, promises a lot, but the film doesn't quite have the confidence to deliver on the promises, and for the first half, it fails to connect enough to make you care much for the characters under threat. The back end of the film does pick things up somewhat, notably aided by a rather calmly sinister turn by Bonneville, who plays entirely against type here, but never really salvages the whole affair. Iranian director Babak Anvari drops the ball a little with this one. After showing such early promise with his previous output, he gives us an unmemorable film that doesn't quite resonate how you feel such a chilling tale should. That was my my take, that it looked familiar when I saw the trailer. But I, I, I still, if I'm ever do get a chance to catch up with everything just might one day chuck it on what's next uh for one that's worth chucking on but instantly forgettable by the end of it because it doesn't really do anything new and it's not a failing on the film itself it's more because this genre is everywhere and that's samaritan uh, which sees stallone who could potentially be a missing superhero samaritan who went missing after battling his brother in a chaotic burning building i know you're him Samaritan is dead. He's hiding something. Why did you disappear? Samaritan. A dark new take on superhero movies. Samaritan starts off with backstory, 
marvellously illustrated in comic book style, of two brothers who had powerful abilities. Tragedy struck, killing their parents, and one became a defender of justice named Samaritan, whilst the other became anarchy incarnate as Nemesis. The pair clashed frequently until one fateful night at a final confrontation. Nemesis was killed and Samaritan vanished, never to be seen again. However, skip to present day and a young boy becomes convinced that his neighbour is actually Samaritan. The film plays quite generic with the story and doesn't offer much that we haven't seen before, but it does so in quite a gloriously shot way, which bears some similarities to Shyamalan's Unbreakable in tone and aesthetic. Stallone, at the age of 76, still casts an impressive presence on screen, and his interaction with the young Sam Cleary, played by Yavon Walton, is quite touching. Villain support is provided ably by Pilo Asbeck, who many will recognise from Game of Thrones, and he chews the scenery in the role of the new menace to society, Cyrus, who models himself on Nemesis. There's no real surprises throughout the film, but there is some fun to be had. It's not a memorable film, and it's unlikely to be getting a revisit anytime soon. Its failings, however, are more down to the proliferation of the genre of superheroes on the screen today, making none of this feel anything special or standoutish. It's an interesting diversion to pass the time on Amazon if you've got nothing else to do. When I first saw this, my, my vibe was was Unbreakable, and, and you know my love for Unbreakable. So I was intrigued, but the more I've heard the less intrigued I am. As, as you said, Stallone looks great and can still, even at, at the ripe old age of the years, that he can carry a film and be uh, dynamic and physical in a role. But this kind of superhero movie, is we've, we've moved on from it. Uh, if it had come out 10 years ago, five years ago, mm. there might have been room for it. But it now just feels like a bit like, like bandwagon jumping. Yeah. Just want to also quickly say... As Lee's already hinted at, uh, yes, the first two episodes of Rings of Power finally landed, and Andy has watched them. I'll, I've spoken many times about my love of Tolkien through the years. I've read everything, including the 12 volumes, Histories of Middle-Earth, and as a Tolkien fan, and no doubt there's some incels out there who will tell me that I'm not a Tolkien fan for saying this, I thought it was absolutely magnificent. It looks thematically similar to Jackson's films. The landscapes are beautiful. The design of the like all the environments is marvellous. I'm seeing all the environments that when I'm playing Lord of the Rings online, I'm seeing the decimated wilderness and like the ruins. I'm seeing Eregion in all its former glory. You get to see the Mines of Moria, Kazakh Doom, during the peak of the beauty of it. So if you've only know it, know Lord of the Rings from the films and you wonder what the grand scale of these dwarves under the mines and how could it look beautiful, this series is a chance to see it. The cast are great. Absolutely great. You've got Morford Clark, who was uh, in St. Maud, which was one of my picks of the year last year, if you remember. She's absolutely magnificent as Galadriel. But the whole cast really shine, and it's impossible to not like everything that's going on. There's mystery. There's intrigue. There's a strange bearded man who's fallen from the sky. That There's loads of theories and speculations to who he is online. I've got my theories. I've told a few people it. I'm holding it back and waiting to see how it goes. But two episodes in, and I cannot wait for the next episode it's just a shame and lee went on about this last week with regards another tv show and it's a shame that once again sad little incels are review bombing this online to give it one out of ten wherever they can because how dare you have a female character in this case galadriel thousands years old elf 
who's well-trained, but they've not seen her fight before, so how dare she be now be a great fighter? <sighs> Grow up, you sad little people. I've also seen people who've commented that it needs to stop talking politics in a Lord of the Rings thing. Hey, okay, I'm just going to jump in on this. I mean, I'm not a huge Lord <laughs> of the Rings fan, but I even I know <laughs> that the the wars and the battles were inspired by Tolkien's World War One experiences. Yes. Everything Lord of the Rings, Tolkien was drawn in upon the society around him when he wrote it. And he spoke multiple times after he wrote it about one thing that I've seen. Um, someone's found uh, like comments from Tolkien where he said that you can change a story when you retell it as long as you keep the feelings for the story together. So anyone complaining that maybe some of Tolkien's laws being slightly tweaked and changed here, they're missing the point. Stories will always evolve for the times that they're in. And Tolkien recognized this and was quite accepting of the fact that some stories, when you retell them, you will change them to impact on the times that you live in. This series impacts on the times that we're living in, but in a fantastic way. It's beautiful, well acted. I hope it goes for multiple seasons. I really do. What would people have said if it had ever had the Beatles starring in Lord of the Rings, which folks, <laughs> if you listen back to a previous episode, was nearly a thing. What else is out this week, Andy? I know it's quiet days out there. What else have we got? Uh, we're not too bad for films this week. I'd like to I'd like to see these films do great business, but sadly they're not the kind of films that will generate them. You got Bodies, 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 which looks quite generic as a horror, but it is A24, so they always know how to pull the rug somewhere from you. And this is one that's on both of our lists. See how they run. The cast lineup in this film is what draws us in. Jaws gets a reissue this week. Sadly, it's in either just IMAX or 3D. I have we have heard from a source that the 3D is absolutely magnificent. I, I have heard that it, it it feels like the conversion is that good that it almost makes you believe that it was shot in 3D. And that's from a very, very reliable, uh, reliable source. An insider, one may say. And uh, I mean, obviously, the film of the week is Tad the Lost Explorer and the Curse of the Mummy. Because, Moving on. Uh, I saw the first one. That first film was demanded a sequel. Over on Now TV and Sky, it's not great. But I'm probably going to give it a rewatch because there was something in there that just about held it together. And that's the 355. Mm. Netflix mm. gives us Cobra Kai. I know you're gagging, are you? Oh, I, I, I want some more of that martial arts fun back into me. And on Amazon, we said that we were going to revisit this once it fa at some point. Tenet is dropping onto Amazon Prime this week. So that's my excuse to give it another shot. We should. And maybe see whether what I've considered as Nolan's messiest film is actually as messy as I remembered it. However, the big news this week for streaming is uh, Disney Day on the 8th means that we get a lot of drops this week. We get Wedding Season. We get Thor Love and Thunder. We get Cars on the Road. Oh, uh, we get Terror Incognita. We get Spider-Man Into the Spideyverse because uh, the Sony deal is now sending them some of them. And we get Robert Zemeckis' adaptation of Pinocchio. All to be reviewed at some point on this show very soon. And that, folks, well, that's it for this week's. It seems like a, uh, we've not been here five minutes. It's flown by. Uh, but before we go, we do this every week. Uh, it's our neat things, things that we've done, enjoyed, whether that's a movie, read a book, been out for a meal. As long as we've enjoyed it, it's pretty neat to us. Andy, your neat thing, please, sir. Now, you thought I was going to do this one last week. So uh, it was inevitable that it was going to happen at some point. Remind but me. welcome... Welcome to Wrexham. Oh, yeah, I've still not got a chance to see it. As I said, I've had a crazy, crazy week and uh, 
uh, I've just been super, super busy. So, so tell me, any good? So this has been dropping in two episode chunks on Disney Plus, short half hour documentary episodes, and it's all the story of Wrexham AFC and how Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds, two completely, completely random personalities who you wouldn't have expected to have any interest in British soccer, bought Wrexham Football Club. And it's such a good documentary. It, this is one of those great documentaries. And a good documentary, regardless of what the subject matter is, you don't have to like the subject matter, but you can like the documentary. In our case, not liking football. Not a fan of football. I'm not a fan of football. But this isn't focusing purely on the football. Even though it's about them buying the football team, it focuses a lot on what football means to the Wrexham community. How much impact it has on that community. And you get interviews with the players. You get interviews with the board. Um, and obviously, you get Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney showing their passion and commitment. And that's the thing that stands out because everyone expected when they bought it that it would be one of those, like, it's a stunt. It's a publicity thing. One, they'll do it for a year and then they'll sell on. But you get to see how attached they're becoming to the team. And you get to really believe in them and root for them. And bizarrely, when you get the football moments on screen and it's like they just need to score a goal and then they could do that and you root you shout at the tv and i'm starting to get passionate about football and i don't like football and that makes it a great documentary it's funny it's charming it's insightful it's heartbreaking at times half half hour episode chunks two episodes have been dropped each week this is well worth checking out on disney plus i am going to check that i'm looking forward to to finally getting to watch that uh, for me i had a couple of choices i always try to either uh, have something in advance or or blag it right at the very last minute and spend the entire show struggling to think what was neat <laughs> over the last week. Uh, I had neat things in place, but I'm, I've changed it at the, at the very last minute. And that's to say uh, a neat thing is, okay, so everybody knows that I, I, if you're a regular listener, I play in a band and I play in a tribute band. And um, we played last night. And with even though this gig had been booked in for many, many weeks, we had a very last minute uh, lineup change within the band. Sadly, uh, we lost uh, uh, a dear friend and a guitarist who decided to move on. Not, he didn't die. <laughs> Don't start sending flowers now. He moved on to another band. It's not that fatal, but but he was missed. He was the kind of the heart of the band. So we managed to find two new players. Now, one came in about a month and a half ago, and the other guy, a guy called Andy, came in less than two weeks ago. And... Uh, these two guys uh, knocked it out of the park uh, and um, did fabulous work to say that they only just they they learned a set. We shortened the set, but they they learned a set, and we had a good gig. And it feels like uh, it feels like our band, but but different. And 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 the neat thing is is, is good musicians. Uh, and you know you could be the best musician in the world, and I've played some great musicians, but if the chemistry's not there. Uh, of the personalities that go with it, then uh, everything, it doesn't matter how good you are, you, you don't want to work with somebody. And it, I'm not patting ourselves on the back as, as the neat thing being my band, but uh, the, the two guys, uh, Rick and Andy, who, who joined sort of very 11th hour, uh, my neat thing is their commitment and, and their joy and seeing them on stage and absolutely enjoying themselves. And, and they didn't know each other, having that fantastic chemistry that, you cannot fake just 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 work and uh, it was just an absolute joy 
to be on stage with these two guys and, and welcome Andy and Rick to Billion Dollar Alice. And uh, that was my neat thing, because I tell you, if you'd asked me a week ago, I was absolutely panicking about doing the show <laughs> last night. And we, we originally wanted to do it as a four-piece, which worried me tremendously. But the fact that these two guys knocked it out of the park was was amazing. And it's it's rekindled uh, my my love of doing doing the music stuff because it felt it felt under threat. So it, it it's back with a guillotine worth of fun. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it again. And you'll know that reference if you ever come and see us. Uh, that's our neat things. And that, folks, is the end of this week's show. As ever, thank you for deciding to spend an hour and a half with the film file, because these are our thoughts and our desires that you are having to having to listen to. And uh, we thank you for um, allowing us to indulge ourselves. And thank you to the Light Cinema for giving us the opportunity to. Something I've always wanted to do is to put put the film file in front of a live audience. And I felt we inched that little bit closer to it today. Yeah, so it was it was really. I mean, it was it was great that you know Michael was clearly a bit like, "Whoa, there's going to be two people talking to me." But then he said he commented at the end that he actually really enjoyed having the chance to like have a three way discussion, more or less. And he, yeah, he, he said like, I, "I might I might be starting to insist that I get interviewed by two people in future." It, it was a really good day. It's been great. Looking ahead to this next week, I'm off next week. Yes, a bit of rest time to relax um, after (laughs) i deserve it after yesterday with the cinema days man that was busy across we didn't even touch upon that oh it's because it's like it 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 just sends me into acid flashbacks at the moment it's like it's like (laughs) norm it's (laughs) it was just so many people but it was a great day Uh, but this weekend also times nicely with my week off and i do this every year the d23 disney expo is streaming wow. this weekend, so hopefully on next week's show we'll have lots of juicy information about uh, Marvel. But no DC. We'll see you next week for another film file. And Andy, you're either in possession of a very new human ability or a very old one. So glad you do that. <laughs>